I'm Gabby, and I am the owner-creator of Gamer Girl Jewelry, and I make dice for a living. (laughs) Wait, that's interesting. It's called Gamer Girl Jewelry, which makes me think that the primary thing is jewelry, but you do dice. Did you think about I should be Gamer Girl Dice or something playing on dice? So my business started back in 2013 when I got into wire wrap jewelry. Okay. And so I got the name then and I did a whole bunch of really nerdy wire wrapping. So like you could get all the Harry Potter houses and wire wrapped gemstones that matched and stuff like that. Um, but then Wait, that and can I ask you about that before? Yeah. So wire wrapping, when you say that, is it literally that thing? It's you just have a gemstone and then it's like a little cage of wire around it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, I figured out how to do like, initials and letters and stuff and all of that and it was all super fancy and cool um but i hated it and it really messed with my hands not that this doesn't (laughs) um but that died around 2015 and um so when i started dice making in 2021 i just kept the business name because it was already there so Okay, that's fair. Had you literally done everything? Like you're like you're like an LLC, and so you went and did the. So you're like, I would just have to file new paperwork, and I'm not doing any yep. paperwork. So this is just it. Yep, that it was very very simple to just be like, oh hey, I just do this now, <laughs> which I still do jewelry. You can, I still do. I take dice and I turn them into jewelry, but it's different than what it was. And dice is dice and gaming accessories are more the focus now. Did so was it sort of conveniently the market fell out of the wire wrapping or you literally it was painful to work the wire and you're like at some point you're like I quit I don't want to do it anymore. Um it was more the second one. Um it was starting to get painful. I do have carpal tunnel so that um added to that and exacerbated that but um I was also going through a major life change. I um became a foster mom. Mhm. And so instead of focusing on running my own business, I was focusing on the children in my home. (laughs) That seems like the responsible adult thing to do. That's very nice of you. (laughs) Do not, do not let people know I'm a responsible adult. I'm not okay with that. (laughs) Okay, really, I could go down so many roads, but we'll just start with the dice. Why did, how did you start making things, making dice and making things with dice? Why, how did it start? And why do you like it so much better than the wire work stuff you did years ago? So um, I did not know that handmade dice were a thing until I think it was 2019. I went to Comic-Con like right before the shutdown. Yeah, no, it was 2019 because the shutdown was the next year. So in 2019, I was wandering through Planet Comic Con and I found someone who had handmade dice on their table. Okay. And they were like, the world's prettiest thing I'd ever known. And I was just like, yeah, I'll buy those. Okay, these are mine. And then I was like, wait, people make dice. How is this a thing? What do I do? Um, what? I want I want to do this. So I've always been a hobbyist. Um, I have... I have done almost every hobby. Like I've quilted. Um, I used to do like bobbin lace weaving. I've done painting. I did the wire app stuff. Like I'm a hobbyist. I did scrapbooking. Um, And then I was like, wait, this is a hobby that has to do with my life's greatest passion, which is role-playing games. (laughs) I have to figure this out. Wait, I have to ask you, because when you said 2019, so you've gamed... You answered some questions before about this, and you, you've been gaming for a long, long time. I'm like, 
wait a second, because I was going to ask you the number one, the lowest threshold financially and the number one addiction that gamers have, books are expensive. So <clears throat> PDFs have made it much cheaper. But if you want to go to the store and buy a book, that's pretty pricey. Dice are the cheapest thing you can buy. And gamers are dice addicts. How did you not know until 2019 that people were making handmade dice? Were you not a dice addict? Did you not have like buckets and buckets of dice? Um, I I do have buckets and buckets of dice. Um, so people were not hand making um, dice for mass consumption until about 2017. Wow, so the, okay. the hobby and the craft is still relatively new. Um, also handcrafted dice are not cheap. <laughs> so, um, a standard set of, uh, handcrafted dice usually runs around 50 bucks on up. Um, I, the most expensive set I've ever sold, I sold it for 200. So, okay. What is, what is it? The equipment, is it the material or is it the time spent? Where does the money go into making this amazing handcrafted all, dice? All of that. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all of that. The, uh, startup cost to make dice is an insane startup cost. Um, I would never have been able to do it if it weren't, um, the fact that my birthday and Christmas fall very close to each other. <laughs> And so everybody around me just went, okay, we're just going to pull everything together and here are your gifts. And I was like, thank the Lord. <laughs> Yay. Um, but yeah, the startup cost is astronomical. Um, like one of the key pieces of equipment you have to have to make dice is a pressure pot. And the best pressure pot on the market um, runs anywhere between $350 and $500. So I have three of those. <laughs> So it's not, I see what you said about those other hobbies, like other things like drawing paper and uh, color materials, uh, sewing, uh, you know, needle and thread and, th and thread. That's, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. And then um, resin is incredibly expensive. Resin um, can cost anywhere between 70 to $200 for a gallon of resin. And um, I go through about a gallon of resin a week. Wow. <laughs> how many have you figured out how much dice have you have you calculated including mistakes do you have any feel like how how many how many dice come out of a gallon of resin yes my husband did the math for me once upon a time he is my math person i can get approximately 90 sets of dice out of a gallon of resin and when you say a set you're talking about the standard d4 d6 d8 d10 d12 what do you count in a set um, so I only do advantage sets. Um, oh. So minimum of eight dice in a set, two uh, D20s, and then the rest. I try to do um, nine or more in a set. Mm -hmm. So um, you'll get uh, like your standard Caltrop D4, but then you'll also get a really cool shape of D4. So like I do like little... Oh, snap. I've seen this. I don't know how to describe it. Stuff. It looks like the spaceship from Arrival, basically. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. Long. I do. I have a lot of really cool shapes of dice. Um, so I always try to not just give you basic dice. I try to give you something that's extra special, extra pretty. Um, and then, like, so sometimes you'll get a D2 in addition to that, which is just a, I have them. Um, they are little planchettes. 
Oh, holy! Is it so? Are you? I mean, it looks like a guitar pick. Is that literally just kind of like a heart shaped guitar pick? What is that? Yeah, pretty much. So pretty it's like is. flipping a coin. So a D two is just like you're just flipping this fancy looking coin. It's it's when you're it's when your DM asks you odd or even, and you go, "Oh shit, I'm gonna die." <laughs> <laughs> That's what that is for. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, I've always wondered. So two questions. One is I'll start with like a technical thing, and maybe you've never had to do this. People always complain. So you're using a ton of different shaped dice during the course of a number of games. And people complain about the die feels off. The die seems off. How come it keeps falling on this side? Is there anything you have to do in the die making process to make sure these are in some ways technically precise? You've got all the shapes because people do 3D printing and that would lock it down. But you're using a much shakier. What do you do? So actually, all of my dice start by being 3D printed. Oh, okay. So everything is 3D printed. And then it is hand sanded to a super, super shiny finish. And then it is molded in silicone. And then I cast from there. Um, And then it is, and then it goes through another sanding process and then it gets painted and then it gets polished. So um, it's it's like a, it's like a four step process that takes anywhere between one and three weeks, depending on how elaborate it is. Um, So I was, do I have them? So I have some dice here that I have put um, little tiny violets inside. Oh, those look really cool. Um, and these are, so these are cast in a blank mold. So I put the flowers into a, a die shaped mold with no numbers on it. And then I pu- I cast the resin and then they have to sit for like three or four days to degas, make sure all the bubbles are out, all that fun stuff. And then I shine that up and then I cast it again in a mold with the numbers. So in a, so that just adds like an extra two steps <laughs> to everything. Yeah. Do you, so again, the technical, are people ever picky about like, are these good dice? Will they roll well? Are they, are they precisely edged? Yes. Lots of people. So the number one question you get in the dice making business and really we consider it like one of those badges of honor is when someone asks, is this balanced? Because yes, my dice are guaranteed to have fewer bubbles and fewer imbalances than your standard Chessex. What do you do? What happens with the mass-produced ones that produce those imperfections that you're more careful about? What are the things that happen? So the biggest thing with the, the mass-produced ones are acrylic. So when you're working with acrylic, there's no guarantee to rid a dye of bubbles. There's just no way to do it. With resin, I put them into the pressure pot. So they all get cast um, anywhere between 35 and 40 PSI. And what that does is that takes any bubbles that might have been there and shrinks them down to microscopic size. So they are guaranteed to never have bubbles. If they have bubbles, that's when I turn them into jewelry. (laughs) (laughs) How heavy are your dice compared to like a standard Chessex? If I go and get the standard, it comes in a little Mm -hmm. rectangular tube. If I get that, how heavy are yours? How do they feel different? Um, Mine, they're the same weight. Um, But I think the difference is mine are slightly... I've had a lot of people refer to mine as feeling more like river rock. Like there's more of a meditative feel to them, if that makes any kind of sense. 
So, well, it does because I'm thinking about a lot of the cheap dice and your fingers sort of stick to the surface. It's kind of a plasticky, yeah. sticky. So yeah. it sounds like maybe they feel more rolly and less sticky yes. than regular yes. dice. And I do get a lot of people coming back to me. So I sell I sell most of my dice at conventions. So people are buying them to go play. And I always tell them, go play a game and then come back and tell me how they rolled. And I, oh. I get lots of compliments that my dice like the people that they go home with. <laughs> so not only a good feel, but they tend to perform pretty well. <laughs> Have you ever held... I am... I'm not into the dice superstition stuff, but some people are super into it. I've watched people throw dice away. I've watched people like, I'm putting these away for a while. These are my special dice for this. They roll just the way I want for me. Are you dice superstitious or dice rational? I am incredibly dice superstitious (laughs) to a point where when my dice that I've made for myself don't do well, I will cast them into another object. So I sell these skulls that are full of dice that have betrayed me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So you, it's almost like you, so you send your dice to like this eternal punishment to sit inside this locked in artifact. Yes. Yes. It's great for when I play my necromancers. I just plop that down. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of jewelry do you make out of dice or what kind of things do people ask for and what kind of things do you experiment with? Um, I do bracelets, earrings, um, necklaces, lapel pins. Uh, I've made cufflinks, which I thought were really cool. I made cufflinks for um, a wedding once. So they're wedding colors and then like they glowed in the dark. So when all the lights went down during the reception, like the cufflinks glowed. Um, I do like hair clips. Just kind of the only thing I don't do are rings uh, because I I myself have a metal allergy. I can only wear specific metals. And if I feel like if I can't wear my jewelry to like promote it, then what's the point of me selling it? So I am really specific about the metals I use. I only use nickel-free metals. So gold, silver, stainless steel, um, I am looking into getting uh, titanium for the people who can't even wear that. So, what? So when it, when it comes to dice, what are some of the comments you've have? Have you ever gotten? Were there was there crit, when you started working with dice? What were the biggest problems that came up, and the ones the hurdles or the roadblocks you've gotten over in making better and better dice through the years? Hmm. Um. The. <laughs> So there are a lot of techniques um, in the dice making world. Lots of people will come to me and ask like, hey, did you see this dice that has a rubber ducky inside? And it's like the coolest thing ever. And I will sit there and go, yeah, it is the coolest thing ever. Please buy that somewhere else. I cannot do that. (laughs) Um, But I can do liquid core dice. I don't know if I can. I know this is an audio medium. Shake it again. So there is, you showed me, for instance, a thing that had like a clover. So that was locked in. This yes. is, has little this moving is, bits in it. You can kind of see it as I flip Yeah, it's it. a little snow globey. Yeah, it's like a little, little snow globe. inside. Yeah, it's moving. It's just not good on camera. Um, so I'm really good at liquid core dice. So you'll get a full, you can get a full set of dice that the center shifts and color changes. Um, there's also a technique called a dirty pour, which is where you, you, pour two or three colors into the mold at the same time mm-hmm. to get a swirl effect. Um, there are dice makers out there who can't figure that out to save their lives. And I 
I feel that's one of my greatest things. Um, I don't have a clean set of that to show you. I have one that's covered in paint, but it's orange and black. And it's just got the swirls through it. But you can tell I'm, I'm in the process of painting it, so it's ugly. <laughs> okay, as I'm getting older, the legibility... Of, so I remember when I first started... <clears throat> um, the there were some role playing games that came in like boxes and you'd get the little plastic dice and they would be pre waxed so they'd have the grooves but you'd have to take the little wax crayon and write them in so illegible those dice without the wax are almost illegible are there colors or things that are like is legibility an issue for people on dice legibility is a huge issue for people on dice especially because when i'm promoting them on social media usually you see them uninked so like i showed you the ones oh. with the flowers inside i haven't painted those numbers yet that that set is getting a very, very elaborate paint job where I'm going to do three different paint colors on it because um, I'm crazy. But <laughs> um, I specifically do dice that are slightly oversized from your standard Chessex and also have um, slightly larger numbers for better readability. And um, they just feel better in your hand. So, I mean, your D12, you can see... This is quite a distance from the camera. Like I can hold it all the way back here and you can still see it's a D12. And you're right. The standard D12. And once you get into the D20, it becomes illegible on the standard smaller size. So exactly. Cool. So I, I do offer, I think it's how many different fonts is it now? One, two, three, four different fonts now. So um, when you commission a set from me, I let you choose what what kind of readability you would prefer. Do you want it to be more flowery? Do you want it to just be accessible? And you kind of have your pick at the time. So It sounds like you like playing with a lot of different uh, things, a lot of different colors. Do you have a favorite color or a favorite kind of way to make the dice that if you had to choose, like, I would just have these kinds of dice all the time? Or do you like variety? Um, I definitely like variety, but I, I would say the dirty pour is probably my favorite thing to do. Okay, that multicolor one. Yeah, because I can choose the different colors. My favorite color is green. Um, any green, every green. I love green, uh, which right now is kind of a problem, like going through a green phase. So like all my dice are green right now. I'm like, oh, I need I need different colors. Other people <laughs> want to buy different colors. Um, but let me see if I have it here. I have this guy who's green and gold. I also love that. It has a very uh, space age sci-fi font to that. Yes. Yeah. It's really cool. That's so I have, I have uh, my digital font, which um, I'm really excited about the digital font because I've been working with the local pathfinder society to create dice for them to give away at um, conventions where they play. And, I will be doing dice in just the standard font for the standard Pathfinder, but for the Starfinder games, I get to be using my digital font to make Ooh. special spacey dice. Because it matches thematically very yes. nice. Yes. Okay, you mentioned um, in something you've written, you said, hey, I started like everybody else. I started with D&D &D and then branched out. Do you find most of the people who want to buy dice, um, I play a lot of indie games. A lot of indie games these days either have no dice or they're not demanding about the dice they have. Whereas kind of a lot of people came up at a time where it was very specific. We use the whole dice from D4 all the way to D20, and we're using lots of them all the time, and people just like dice. Do you feel like the customers are, are they more D&D Pathfinder, where they're used to using a lot of different dice all the time? Or do you get more indie people who have weird demands? 
they're definitely more the D and D type. I okay. I offer I have specific sets for people who play like werewolf or vampire the masquerade. Yeah, you had like World of Darkness where it was nothing but D10 and yes, giant yes. buckets of D10. I, I make some really amazing. Uh, in my opinion, I make some really amazing vampire dice, but <laughs> um, <laughs> but the majority of the people who buy from me are uh, board gamers, so they're looking for D6 sets, okay. or they are uh, your traditional gamers so D pathfinder that sort of thing and they so then they want all of them they want yes. like that whole yes. set that whole but set. i have i have been approached by many people who are like hey i'm just looking for like fate dice can i just get some fate fudge dice i'm like yes i can do that um i have uh like i have uh magic the gathering spin down dice that i do so they're just counters um i also have dice that are death save dice so they have skulls and hearts for your death save. I wanted to ask you about symbols. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, tombstone means you're dead, dead. Um, potion bottle means you, you come back up. So I have lots of different, I have lots of different styles, <laughs> lots of different options available. Um, can we sort of glossed over it? Cause we, Hey, we're going to talk about the dice, but I'm curious, what has your business journey looked like? Because in, in one of the answers you gave me, it's, Hey, I used to work for the government and then I kind of started this business, which is a huge, scary thing. So maybe you could talk about how, what your thinking was going into business. Cause this hobby stuff, a lot of times doesn't make money for people and it's a hard slog. So maybe just talk a little bit about your business journey. So I got onto TikTok. And started um, stalking a lot of dice makers on TikTok. And a lot of them were talking about starting up businesses and storefronts. And I was like, I have done that sort of thing before. If I'm good at this, I could do this. Um, And then there's one dice maker. um, Their company name is Artemis Dice. And I think they're based out of Maryland. Um, but for my birthday, before all this started, my husband bought me a complete set of dice from them. So he spent like 200 bucks buying these handmade dice for me. And I looked at those and I went, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. This is what I want to do. This is is what sings in my soul. This is what I want to do. I want to have the representation of the female nerd in the gaming space. And I want to do it through my favorite thing in the world, which is Dungeons and Dragons. So um, I, I, it was literally, uh, I went to, I quit my job because of COVID. Um, I caught it. It did bad things to me mentally. Okay. It was just say, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. And so finding something that brought me back to a place where I was happy. And that was the most important thing to me. And so I didn't really care about whether or not it succeeded. What I cared about was making it <laughs> um, and bringing other people joy. So I created my own TikTok account and in six months got over 5,000 followers and launched my business. So I started with an Etsy shop. Um, the Etsy shop's kind of gone by the wayside. It still exists. It's still out there. Um, still has stuff for sale, but I don't like update it or anything because I'm working so much on the convention scene and commission work anymore. 
Okay, I wanted to, I'm curious, I wanted to ask about that because the convention, so the main cost for the convention stuff is obviously you have to travel there. Usually the cost of sometimes sponsoring at a big place, like if you go to Gen Con, it's pricey to get on the floor, <clears throat> but other places it's pretty reasonable. So what are the major costs to do the convention work? Um, definitely hotel, gas, okay. uh, car maintenance, um, absolutely the booth space, and then um, all of the displays. So as I make more weird things, I need more space and more displays. And my husband, my, my sweet, wonderful husband, so I was in the jewelry business for five years. Before I started making my own jewelry, I sold jewelry. <laughs> and um, my poor sweet husband will look at, at a jewelry stand I have and he's like, what's that for? And I'm like, well, that's clearly for the chokers. Hello. <laughs> How do you not know this? And I'm like, oh, wait. First off, guy. Secondly, <laughs> so um, yeah, but it's mostly hotel food, um, travel. But and the, so if you if you go to a convention now that so I know you said um, you wanted to you wanted to represent uh, female gamer in the space. You wanted to make something that brings people joy because a lot of times it sounds like at whatever your government job was, chances are it was bureaucratic and it's pushing paper around. And it's, I worked for the IRS. You're so oh then you so then people naturally some people hate you. It's like if you tell right okay yeah <laughs> it's not right. It's not like you're working for the Red Cross or no like, like on no I'm not child. doing anything good for the. <laughs> <laughs> so you you got the passion representation when the money shakes out from a convention is it like is it good or is it like getting to the point where it's like this is great or it's like no it's just good so i feel secure about it where is it my last convention which was geekway to the west um in st louis um is the first one that i actually can say i've officially turned a profit yes yeah so i'm i'm very very excited about that that was like most businesses, you know, you need a five-year plan. Like you're expecting to turn a, a profit within five years. I've done it within a year and a half. Dang. So, yes, I'm very, very proud. I'm very, very excited. It makes me feel really good about how people see themselves in what I do. Can I ask the convention work, the commission work, if you look at it like percentage-wise, if the 100% pie, how much gets sold at convention and how much gets sold online and how much is commission people asking for custom stuff? Oh, my goodness. Uh, 90% is commission. Easy. Are you serious? Wow. Yeah. So. so we see you. We see we're going to see you at CantCon and any other convention. You're going to have this big booth. There's going to be all this jewelry and stuff. And you're like, but I'm making most of my money, not off the people buying the stuff off the rack here. But the people are going to say, I want you to make this. I want you to make yes. that. Yes. OK. Is that what you had already been led to expect when you were making jewelry? We were like, it's almost all commission. Oh, God, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, I was no. Um, My jewelry I think I was just in the wrong market for it in, in the long run. Um, finding the nerd community specifically in Kansas city and here in the Midwest, it's kind of, it's still a little bit underground. Um, it, we still have a little bit of that holdover from the nineties where uh, the eighties and nineties, that satanic panic stuff. There's just a little bit where you have to find the right um, group and, I had one from college, but then I moved out to the Pacific Northwest and lost them. And then when I came back, it was hard to find everybody. Um, and then my brother uh, opened RPG in Lawrence, uh, mm -hmm. Restaurant, Pub, and Games. 
And um, through that, I was able to then be like, oh, wait, this is the community. Hi, guys, I've been missing you. (laughs) 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 So, um, but no, in, in the jewelry world, commission work is not really a huge thing. Um, but in the dice world, it is. And it is it is something that I take a lot of pride in. If you give me a vision and I get to execute it and just it's like magic somehow. It's awesome. <laughs> Wait, I don't I don't want to I don't want to go overly negative, but I am curious about one thing about the commission work sometimes can be difficult. Artists throughout history and today can sometimes struggle with patrons who are not satisfied with the work being done or how it's being done or how fast it's going. I feel like this plays out a lot on Kickstarter where people put money up on Kickstarter and they, some people are very understanding. I just feel like I'm throwing the money away. And if you deliver something to me at the end, great commission. Sometimes people have a lot of expectations. Is it all wonderful or is it sometimes very difficult to match expectations with what you achieve at the end? The only thing I've struggled with commission wise was a, uh, it went back to those inclusions. Um, Someone wanted a set of perfectly clear dice with the Irish flags just perfectly centered (laughs) in the die. And I'm like, resin, resin is not a perfect science like that. Um, Well, I can try. Resin do what resin do, and I don't know. Okay. Sometimes sometimes I'm gonna overpour the mold and sometimes I'm gonna underpour it. It's not gonna be perfectly centered because things shift and um the guy was really, really sweet about it. The way I do commission work, um it's usually a three week turnaround. Um I get fifty percent non refundable deposit up front and then I try I test things two or three times let you know kind of what the, what I'm discovering, what the trouble is, you know, and I talk with you through the whole process about how we're going to achieve what your vision is. And then I do the first pour. So you get, so once I'm satisfied that I know what I'm doing, you get two pours. So I'll pour once, send you pictures, we get to tweak it one last time, and then I'll pour a second time. And then you get to pick paint colors and all of that. So and so far, it's working great. If it's 90% commission, these commissions are going well. Yes, yes. Commissions go great. <laughs> um, if somebody comes to your booth at CantCon or any convention coming up in 2023, what is the number one thing you're like, this is the newest thing I'm working on and I'm showing off this technique or this is my most popular product. I have to keep making this kind of die because they keep demanding. Everybody wants this die when they show up at my booth. Um, so I make dice that are 45 millimeters and bigger. So I make I make super teeny tiny dice. So I have super teeny tiny dice. That is super and then teeny I do tiny. massive dice, which once again they're across the room. Um, so when you say massive, like how are we talking softball? How big um, are we going? Talking about about. Okay, yeah. like a billiard ball, like yeah, a, like a ball, ball you yeah. knock around on the pool table. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, I can't keep those in stock to save my life. The little ones or the big ones. <laughs> so they see the tiny ones and they see the giant one, and they have to have them. Yes, okay. yes. And I really, really like it because sometimes I make a big one and a little set that match, and I'm like, "Go for it, take them both." <laughs> that is awesome. You get the um, mama and the babies. <laughs> do you wind up with so now that these these extremes? I sometimes will go places and, you know, you see the arts and crafts and like 
it's like the one thing that looks like it's been neglected, like it's sat there forever. Nobody else likes it. You're like, I want that one. What is the runt of the dice? And does anybody ever buy the one? You're like, there was an experiment. Nobody's going to want this. It's been here for a year and a half. And then boom, somebody just vroom, right to it. That is always the way of it. Um, <laughs> so so um, I have dice that I have repeated the pattern on. Um, I call them my rainbow bright dice. So they are just rainbow rainbow colors, but they're UV oh, reactive. Wow, they are so all they the like colors, glow in yes. the dark. Um, people always buy those. Those are great. But then I make dice for me. So um, I'll, so like, where are they? I have, I was challenged recently to make dice that um, looked like the 90s dial up sound when you were getting online. <laughs> what, what do dice look like if you make them like that? So I have these that are like, they've got like that weird TV static but then they're like the blue and the purple swish on those cups that everybody had (laughs) um these will probably be the first thing to sell at the next convention simply because they're the weirdest thing i've got on the table (laughs) okay so people grab it so that hold of the run of the the weirdest thing oftentimes people just grab it usually yeah um i make a lot of like dice guardians so you can get um kitsune from me in like all the pride flag colors Mm -hmm. Um, and you can get like dragon dice guardians and stuff like that. And, you know, who doesn't want a gold dragon, right? Like who doesn't want a gold dragon? Wait, are these literally just, when you say a dice guardian, you just, is it just a resin statue made of the same material as a dice? What is it? Yes. Yeah. It's a cute little resin statue. Um, the dragons are specifically designed so that the tail curls around so you can set your D20 in it. Oh, so they're really, really cool, but I have never sold a golden dragon ever. I have seven of them. I have taken them to every convention. I have put them online. Nobody buys my gold dragon. What is the most popular color of dragon to buy? Um, it is black with a blue to purple color shift. I wonder why the gold, I guess the gold dragon's not that, it's kind of rare and I can't, even if I think of my D&D games, how many times I've run into a gold dragon? Right, yeah, like never. 